Hey there, listener. The episode you're about to listen to was recorded on Tuesday night, and funny thing happened. On Tuesday night, FC Cincinnati sort of teased a new signing coming to the team, and then the next day they went ahead and announced the uh, the official signing of Obina Wobodo, and we didn't talk about him, uh, at least in depth as a new signing in this podcast. However, in this podcast is the moment that the teaser video dropped and our attempt to reach out to sources to break the news, and it's hysterical how badly we fail at this. See if you can find where in the podcast the video dropped on us. Uh, otherwise, enjoy a podcast of uh, a bunch of dorks that don't realize they're about to be caught up uh, in an attempt to try to break some news that they helplessly cannot. Postcast episode eight. We are back at it. It's a bye week and we're not stopping. The postcast keeps on trucking. Sorry, Knifey Lion Radio. No breaks on this train. Uh, this episode, we've got transfer rumors. We've got a season review. And most excitedly for me, we hit in part two. We've got Dan McNally from FC Cincinnati. Incredible, incredible guy. Uh, FC Cincinnati's first employee. That's the headline. He's been with this club forever. Some awesome stories about driving players to and from the airport and uh, how that Crystal Palace game actually came to be. Fantastic stuff. And then part three, we're hitting it with a grab bag. We got a little bit of uh, Phil Castellini talk. We got some open cup draw reactions and more. Uh, So postcast episode eight coming right up. And uh, with me to discuss everything on this jam-packed episode, we've got three wonderful contributors to the post-sensi. We've got, I guess, four. Uh, I'm not counting myself, I think, in that count. Oh, come on. (laughs) You matter. You matter, Kevin. I write a match day preview and review that I think gets about 10 clicks a post, but it makes me feel good like I'm contributing. Um... I'll start off with a, a, a gentleman we don't often get on the podcast, even though he's made it to, uh, what is now, a third of them? Uh, one, Das Harks. Uh, Das, how's the, uh, how's the studio treating you these days? Uh, it is a barren wasteland of forgotten dreams uh, and painful <laughs> memories. It, it's been a long time since we've been in the studio. What happened to that 80s-era hip-hop anthem uh, hyping up our guy Brandon Vasquez? Come on, I thought I inspired you. You did. You didn't. You inspired me, uh, and and then I felt just bad uh, about. Uh, I, I I tried to I tried to put pen to paper, and and nothing came out. I'm I'm drawing blanks these days. Hey, it happens to the best of them. We also have the anonymous source himself, Grayson. Grayson, <laughs> <laughs> happy to have you back on the pod, buddy. <laughs> yeah, so I'm happy to be here. Um, I opened a a nice little pet gnat before I started and then my wife said would you like some mango slices to go with it and I gotta say yeah that goes just just wow. living his best life over there my goodness and last but certainly ladies and not gentlemen least. live from the one percent Grayson Chalmers 
the, the postcast it really covers you know all, all ranges of society it's a it's a multi-perspective <laughs> outlet uh but no that the last but certainly not least we have the chief warpig chief are you happy or sad that we did not get detroit city in the open cup i don't know that i was properly prepared for what would have come <laughs> on the internet and I don't know if I can go back to that place again. That was one time. It was a long time ago. We went to war. We fought gallantly. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy right now that I can. We're right now we're aligning our podcast resources to, you know, to meet payroll expectations. And I just didn't have it in the budget for Detroit City this year. Not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> Emery Welshman be praised. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, no, the uh, j- just in case anybody wasn't keeping tabs on uh, the Northern Guard, uh, somebody from Pittsburgh posted a photo of the neighborhood next to uh, their stadium, Kenworth Stadium, and um, they got mad about that. So just just give you a sense of what uh, the how Northern Guard they are. got mad about something. No <laughs> bullshit. Was, that didn't happen. Was, just a nice little photo of here's what it looks like next to the stadium, and boy, did they take offense to that, which uh, is a little a little telling on yourself there, Northern Guard. That was uh, <laughs> it might have given something away there. Um, but uh, enough about Detroit or uh, whatever suburb they actually play in. Uh, no, we've got FC Cincinnati, and we've got maybe the most fun part about soccer, not soccer, transfer rumors. Um, Grayson, do you mind hitting me with a quick list of, uh, say, the three or four names that have been connected with this club uh, in the last few weeks as the uh, the window keeps chugging along here? Yeah, I mean, there have been a lot of names connected with the club in the last couple of months, but kind of the most persistently connected, we got some kind of couple of old favorites, uh, Carlos Guerrezo, who mm-hmm. has actually been reported by some of our local journalists um, as being a, a real target, and he would require that allocation spot that we're holding on to. Um, there's a guy, Agustin Almendra, from Boca Juniors, who would be potentially a U22 signing. We did Ooh. just free up a U22 spot with the Viacia trade. Uh, he's a big talent who has had some uh, clashes with the coach down there. So he's currently with their reserve team. Um, uh, so, so question about whether that would be a good personality to add to our locker room. But if he comes here, I will love him. Um, yeah, the only personality I'm worried about right now is winning. I don't care if I mean, we can sign up a, a dictator for all I care. As long as they play winning soccer, I don't give a fuck what the personality's like. Grayson, I but, promise you I'm only going to make this joke three times tonight. But sources, please. Uh, and i'll have the same response which is do not answer fools according to their folly lest you too become like them that is proverbs 26 4 oh i love it uh please please respect this man's religious takes i just got bibled (laughs) fuck me so um recently uh there's a lot of smoke out of uh turkish media for uh obina and wobodo a Nigerian for Gostepe who is looking at uh, relegation right now in the Turkish league. I'm in. I'm in. I'm all the way in. I don't need to know <laughs> more. If there's one thing I know about the Turkish league, there's frequently a lot of smoke involved. So <laughs> He's a he's a defensive midfielder. Uh, based on the transfer, transfer fee being uh, thrown out in Turkey, 
uh, sounds like a DP, which likely uh, would foreclose Gruezo, but we don't mm. know anything until something actually happens. Okay. Um, and then finally, um, there was a tweet out of, uh, uh, I guess, France today, linking Steen Roda Gregerson, a Norwegian center back for uh, Bordeaux, which is another team that is facing relegation. How's his voice, though? Uh, the voice of a angel, but like not an archangel. Can I hear uh, if we acquire him, it comes with like three or four cases of wine. So <laughs> at the very least, the losses will become a little easier to stomach. I, 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 love, I love FC Cincinnati going back to the well of uh, Northern European Scandinavian center back. See, uh, uh, Vanderwerf and Patterson. I mean, it just, it's gone so well for us in the past. That's uh, beautiful. Uh, no, Das Harks, any of those names jump out at you? Anything? I mean, this is this is kind of the silly thing of like all of these teams, all of these players play in places that are not readily accessible to the American soccer consumer. Not impossible, but just you got to jump through a couple of hoops. You got to try to find some of these teams. But uh, does does anything jump out at you here? Uh, obviously, Obina, given that we prospectively have a, a, a DP number six on the way, um, you know, no no disrespect to anyone currently or previously doing the job, but it's, it's just been, uh, you know, it's been a, it's been a major deficiency of ours since day one. And if we can get somebody competent in there, that'd be fantastic. Now, now to the leagues themselves, I mean, I, I think maybe it was uh chief or Kevin or whatever people's names are on this podcast um, <laughs> that said there are, X number of thousands, hundreds of thousands of soccer players in the world, surely we can find uh, somebody and give them a decent wage to go come here and do the job. So um, I'm only here for the hot takes, but I, I am legitimately excited for a competent number six uh, to to grace us here in the old land of FC. So if like we're talking about all these guys, Gruezo has to be the first name that you talk about because we've just been linked to him forever and it's hard to ignore the fact that we're holding on to that number one spot on the allocation order and of all the names that i've seen rumored for fc cincinnati i think he's the only one where that allocation spot would come into play fair point. so um you look at it and it's you have to think well we're holding on to that for a reason now i know that you know potentially that's something we could sell make more tricky Don fun bucks and then that increases our ability to make more moves going forward but the Gruezo it's the most persistent rumor I mean at some point it has to be a where there's smoke there's fire thing with him right right the the only other thing uh to your point is Almiron I guess is out there and either we go for him, although he doesn't quite fit, but it's kind of like the classic NFL draft conundrum, which is do you just take the best player available even though you don't need the position? Don't don't you just want to stock up on talent regardless? Um, but, yeah, uh, you sell that, uh, you take Grezo, or or you sell that spot to whoever wants Almiron and, and you go get this guy out of Turkey. Um, 
I don't, <laughs> Grayson, I, I don't know how to judge these signings. And I, I'll be honest with you, I'm very cynical of anybody with a hard take on the playing abilities of any of these guys. Um, I don't know. What's your favorite way to uh, pretend to know about a signing from a, I'll say, obscure league? <laughs> None of these are particularly obscure, but what's your favorite way to fake this one out? Well, so so the tried and true way is to go find like a random stat. Um, just, it's got to be like a little specific, and it's got to be not just like oh he has this many goals, right? Okay. So and, and so you find a random stat. So I go to FB Ref and I look up Obina and Wobodo, and I see okay, he is third among midfielders in Turkey in interceptions. Great so, sold. So, but you got you got to go one step further. You can't just rattle off a stat, okay? Right. You need to find an MLS comparable. Ooh. You need to find a player in MLS. So you could say, not only do I know enough about this player, I know enough about the sport in MLS that I can compare two guys, two guys across leagues, and project them at, project them out. So you're saying that the stats for Obina must be separate but equal. Yes. No, no. <laughs> I was just going to say that the Turkish interception sounds a lot like a ska band name. Like, they, <laughs> like something that really just fucking rocks with a killer horn section. Their their second album was definitely the best. I'll I'll say that for sure. <laughs> so, I I don't I don't watch I don't watch MLS. Okay, just just to be clear. Well, so I have to go also go to FB Ref and say, "Okay, what midfielder in Major League Soccer is third in interceptions. So I say... <laughs> Hold I say, on. Okay. Wait, 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 wait. Let us guess. Let us guess this one. I'm going with Mark Anthony K. No. I'm going to say guess. Frankie Amaya. Frankie Amaya. Fuck. Those are both really good guesses. Kubo. Uh, they're wrong guesses. The correct answer is uh, Yuya Kubo. Yes! <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> I knew so, he was up there. <laughs> you motherfucker. So we say... So we say... so. Woboto uh, projects in MLS like Yuya Kubo, but, and then you add like either like more of a natural defensive midfielder mm-hmm. or, you know, Yuya Kubo on steroids, right? <laughs> so you got to have like a qualifier there. With the real, with the real way to pretend you're really knowledgeable about this subject to say he compares well to Yuya Kubo or to shit on the idea of the transfer and say, Cynically, well, we have Yuya Kubo at home. We don't need we don't need this guy. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. You could take it in so many directions. And the nice thing is, just walk up to a random person on the street, and first you explain to them who Yuya Kubo is, and you tell them that there's an MLS <laughs> team in Cincinnati, and then you just have them at a disadvantage, right? <laughs> and if they disagree with you, remind them I was drinking a very fancy drink with mango slices on a what is this Tuesday uh, evening so I'm clearly better than you and I know more than you excuse me I got a case of wine from Bordeaux today <laughs> okay. so Jesus you Christ wanna, you want to talk Steen Gregerson I'll talk Steen Gregerson I have used Google Translate for six and a half minutes reading about how he's really more of an athlete and he's pacey I am hey. concerned about his height because FB ref tells me he's 5'9 it's not oh. wow. That's <laughs> yeah. Well, I Lucho drink Coors, he's short. <laughs> I drink Coors Banquet, and Wikipedia says he's six foot three. So fuck off with whatever stats <laughs> you're looking at right now. <laughs> Wikipedia also tells me he's made a uh, 
appearance for Norway during the World Cup qualifier cycle. That's a positive. You know, I always like to see guys that are like that. that love their country, that play well for their country. Yep. So his Wikipedia page, though, is, is is really short. So if you're looking to try and see sm- seem smart about uh, Mr. Gregerson, I highly recommend you look elsewhere beyond uh, crowdsourced encyclopedia articles. <laughs> Wikipedia does list him as 6'3". How do you mix that up? Is this like basketball where he's like 5'9", but he's got a 6'3 wingspan? Maybe somebody was really guessing with the metric system and just got way. Yeah, out. this is this is the Napoleon issue all over again, and they're using French inches versus English inches. And yeah, the it's, like, in, it's like the, the NFL inches. combine where like the hand size magically increases just because that somehow fucking matters when you're drafting a quarterback. <laughs> like he's been able to throw a pass his entire college career, and all of a sudden his fucking hands too small to play, and it's like they're stretching the motherfucker out to get another half inch on him. <laughs> Grayson, how much does this guy weigh? That's what I want to know. I'm I'm, I'm measuring against the Waston index. Um, I, I got it in kilograms for you. Ah, fuck. <laughs> how many now, stones? So, so according according to FB ref, he's 154 pounds. So projected oh, out to Wikipedia, he's 190 pounds. That's so okay. Yeah, that's better. If he's six foot four and 154 <laughs> pounds. <laughs> I really want to sign him just to see what he looks like. <laughs> he would be similar to my college roommate who, after carrying one uh, load of laundry up the stairs, needed an apple. So that, that wouldn't be great. <laughs> He's Mike TV at the end of the novel Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yes. I was going to say, like, <laughs> Kevin Durant's less famous younger brother of Tim Durant. <laughs> Look, and while I'm body shaming here, I couldn't run 20 miles without fucking dying. So, so let's just set that straight. Doss I mean, Harks needs to hit the gym a little more. He's I'm trying. Just, I'm just saying, one, 155 and, and 64 is uh, medical intervention territory. Um. I, I will note about Gregerson, though. If you go back and you do a little bit of a dive on him, he was a target earlier in the year for Sporting Kansas City. So this isn't the first time an MLS team has kicked the tires. That was a mls.com reporting that they had made a bid of about 1.1 million for him back in january and for whatever reason that didn't um that didn't pan out so that sort of gives you an indication i think of what kind of money this guy's commanding um that's about as much research as i did so you guys are you're on your own from this point forward (laughs) maybe less with bordeaux facing relegation and maybe that's why we're targeting the two players we're targeting is because they're currently at a discount. Right. Not to uh, not to get all MLS rules on you, but uh, keep an eye out for any uh, weird amounts of GAM heading to uh, Kansas City for the discovery rights on this guy. Um, that would be uh, be something to keep an eye on there. Do we have any idea like what discovery rights we have right now? Has there been any? any I don't know. Did we? Do we get a certain number for free when we start out as an expansion team where we get like an expansion draft for discovery rights where we can steal them from other people? Or I have no fucking clue how that works. So I think every team has the same size of a discovery list and it's seven players. Yeah. But they don't publish the discovery list. So we were actually able to talk to. I don't know if we're allowed to say this, and I feel very hypocritical, but Luke Sassano way back in the day, and he gave us some insight as to how the discovery list works. And essentially, it was, yeah, uh, he said five or seven names are on this list, but you're allowed to change it 
essentially at will so long as the player you're adding to your list isn't on anybody else's list. It is it, a giant game of dibs. Is it is it kind of like when you play when you play poker at like Vegas where you can choose to show your cards like somebody says, "I want to sign this guy." And you say, "I have discovery rights on him." And then they can either <laughs> ask to see the card or they can be, "No, I'll fold then. You're fine." That is I don't that's one part I I'm not clear on is if the lists are available to everybody because then you could do some like weird double fakes, right? Where like you put some guy on to kind of alert a GM that this guy might be available, but he's not your actual target. And so, (laughs) you know, you could, you could play some mind games that way. I do know um, we did not have permission to say some of these names, but I'll say uh, our names early on were populated mostly by older falling out of favor Premier League stars that were sort of in the Gerard um Robbie Keane sort of mold of they they would have made sense for anybody in MLS to grab and it was more or less trade bait if anybody did pick up a an Aaron Ramsey or something. I, that wasn't one of the names. I was just trying to think of that similar profile player of like, eh, somebody might get an offer that makes sense for them and eh, we'll make 200K off of just having this name on here. Makes sense. Um, but yeah, it's a weird, it's, it's, it's another one of those uh, old <laughs> vestiges that just needs to die off as the uh, the league evolves. Um, I prefer to think of this whole thing as like a, a- a Yu-Gi-Oh-esque trap card. Yes, like I'd like yes. to sign, it's, I don't know, what's his nose. And then it's time to do 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 duel. Uh I'll take you one step further. I love the old Pokemon battle system where at the end of the game, you got to take instead of a prize card, you know, as you defeat Pokemon, if you beat another team, you should get a name off their discovery list. That makes it so much better. <laughs> so like the best team just starts grabbing all of your discovery list guys. <laughs> Let's enact this rule after we're good. <laughs> It's just one team that has the entire list of Discovery players from the rest of the league. I mean, it's perfect. Or instead of relegation, your uh, Discovery list gets wiped out and uh, everybody else gets to pick from it and then you start over. Well, in a league obsessed with parity, why not reverse that? The worse you do, the more you get that uh, Discovery list padded. Oh shit! So like if you if lose, you lose. A, if you lose a game, you get to steal someone's uh, one random discovery <laughs> list player, and they'd have to hold it out like you know a magician doing a card trick, where you've got all of your discovery list cards sitting out there, and you have to yes. pick blindly. They could do that at oh, midfield should... after the game. That would yes. be fucking electric. Yes. And then announce over the PA system. It's like surprise, we got John fucking Terry right now. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but everybody on your list has to go through that rotation in your, let's say, division. So you have to choose tactically, all right, who am I going to risk for what match? It's not immediately uh, obvious to the other team. It's it's an opaque pick. So let's say, you know, there's there's real stakes in not losing to a shitty team beyond losing to the shitty team because oh. you've, you've ostensibly put your best discovery list player against the shittiest team. And if you lose oh. to them, oh, Jesus, what a fucking terrible outcome. 
I love Max's version of this. Yes, you you put it up like a bet. So you yes, but it's blind, so you don't know. <laughs> but maybe. Oh my god, guys! The meta game you could play with MLS is so much better than the actual sport. I'm um, actually 99 percent certain this is how the <laughs> mini game worked in Final Fantasy VIII, but I'd have to go back and double check that. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I will say my favorite way of uh, of scouting obscure leagues is uh, to play a FIFA career mode for a while and then just hoping one of the guys I randomly signed makes it big and then I can pretend like I knew that guy. So like for me right now, that's Luis Romo. He's a fringe Mexican national team player, but for my Plymouth Argyle playthrough where they won the Champions League, man, stalwart <laughs> in the defense. Love that guy. So uh, that's who I'm putting in for FCC should go sign that guy out of Liga Max. Are we going to unsign someone? Is Brenner out of here? What's up? Mm. We'll know in two hours, right? What time is it in Brazil? What time is? What time are you listening think... to this podcast? I think we'll you'll know <laughs> you'll probably know the answer by this point. <laughs> we might have to cut in after the fact. Uh, I believe Brazil's an hour behind us. Although daylight savings, ahead. Brazil's an hour ahead of us. Ahead of us, damn it! Yeah, just, da- just Google it. Daylight savings. Is this the part is where I bitch. say that, like, I think time zones are bullshit and it should yes. just be the same time everywhere at all times? Yeah, let's yeah go. just change your frame of reference. Yes. If you need the sun to be at its highest point at noon, you do weird things with your life. I don't, what are you doing? Doesn't everybody work indoors? <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> Dude, wow. You just stru- you'll just structure your, your day around whatever the light is. Yes. But it'll just, it'll, it'll just be convenient. To say, like, I say 2 o'clock and everybody knows it's 2 o'clock unless you're most of the world and you call that 14 o'clock. Right. Which, like, was why, like, the whole, like, this is for farmers never made sense. Because if you're a farmer, the time, the clock is irrelevant. Throw every clock you own away. You're going to work by daylight. You're going to wake up before the sun rises to get some of the jobs done you don't need the sunlight for. And you're going to work during the day. You're going to take the hottest parts of the day off. And you're going to work in the evening. That's like, why on earth did the clocks have to move for the farmers? That's literally the one group of people that doesn't need the time change. (laughs) spoken like a real one percenter right (laughs) i'm just saying the farmers have had it too good for too long in this country show me your drink (laughs) if there's mango slices in there i'm ignoring everything you just said there's no mango slices in the drink you have them with the drink oh well what i'd hey too (laughs) rich for my somehow worse for me um (laughs) yeah you've turned getting drunk into work i don't need that (laughs) I, I was I'm sipping on accidents. a. <laughs> oh, jeez! I was sipping on a, a Kroger seltzer, which is both bougie and low class all at the same time. So Tell us the flavor. Like Tell us the flavor. I was lemon lime. I went basic. See, I'm not. Oh. I'm, not going, I'm not going crazy on See, you. The, the, no blackberry. The, the problem on. with lemon lime seltzer is it's just Sprite that's not trying hard enough, and you just <laughs> need to fully commit that you're going to have the Sprite of the Seven Up. Or get a different flavor, but the the the, the Which, lemon lime seltzer—it's the worst of all worlds. It's just not entertaining or enjoyable at all, especially if you're not putting. Some hold on, oh, you've you've either. unlocked another rant. Can can we get a non Mountain Dew caffeinated tongue fucking beverage? Like, give me Sprite with caffeine. What's going? Why why can't we have that? I thought you were going the other direction. I want a Mountain Dew flavored seltzer. <laughs> It's just orange juice. That is the secret ingredient of Mountain Dew. It is orange juice. I promise you. I you, don't know. 
if you if you think about orange juice when you drink Mountain Dew, you will taste it. And if you look at the ingredients list, it is the number one or number two ingredient on a Mountain Dew is orange juice. The best thing about Mountain Dew is science has yet to develop a version of Mountain Dew with zero calories that they could actually advertise as zero calories. Diet Mountain Dew lists 10 calories on the side of the bottle. <laughs> You Mountain Dew is too fucking it. extreme for zero calories. It needs 10 calories just to get moving. <laughs> Mountain Dew also yeah. mixes terribly with tequila. I don't recommend that at all. So if you're going to do like a... Fantastic spi- a spiked, with whiskey, though. A spiked Mountain Dew beverage, I do not recommend Mountain Dew and tequila. That's a that's a bad that's a bad morning waiting for you. No, that's why you got to do vodka, because it's a screwdriver. It's a dew driver. This is, this is a thing, oh, folks. God. It's an orange juice. <laughs> dew driver. That's, all right. That is enough. Yeah, dew driver. <laughs> <laughs> What's that coconut rum? Uh, Malibu? Malibu, yes. Yes, Mountain Dew and Malibu. There you go. That sounds awful. I will try it later. Um. Did you ever notice with uh, with rum, this is just a weird tangent, but that the quality of the rum is inversely related to the rank on the bottle, that the Admiral <laughs> Nelson is clearly the worst rum, Captain Morgan is the middle tier rum, and Sailor Jerry is the best rum, even though Sailor Jerry is outranked by every other member on the bottles. This is I so only, good. I only drink rums that are from the uh, U.S. state sponsors of terrorist countries. <laughs> wow. Only Cuban and Venezuelan rum for me. What, do they not pair well with your mangoes? What the fuck? <laughs> As a Jamaican rum guy, I'm highly offended right now. <laughs> so what about Brenner? What's going on with Brenner? I mean, I thought... <laughs> I mean, Chief, good. Brenner's Chief. good. He's going to goals this year. I, I thought the, the lemon-lime seltzer was like the perfect Brenner analogy, which is like, <laughs> look, you paid for this. You thought you were getting Sprite. It's good. It has its market in the right context. It's refreshing. But that's probably not what you were looking for when, I mean, when fuck, you bought this one. I, I take Sierra Mist at this fucking point. <laughs> I'm going to stick my neck out here. Not very far at all. But you guys are dead fucking wrong. Brenner's good. The problem is he doesn't have the supporting cast. And before you say, well, he, he he's not that good if he has to have Go good people on. around him. Continue. No. No, 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 no. If you put the guy in fucking quicksand, he's not going to be able to get the job done. I mark my words. Max at da- Das Harks guarantees. <laughs> I'm leaving that in. Max Ellerby Harks, Das, guarantees <laughs> that K-fabe is dead. by the end of by the end of 20, uh, by the end of this season, Brenner, Brenner will have 10 goals. Yeah, where yeah. will he be down. playing when he scores them? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I, in in the Brazilian state leagues, he'll crush. He'll, Absolutely he'll not. Thrive. I'm making I'm making a, a consequence free bet right now as the uh, person who knows jack shit about what's going on on this podcast. Well, the, the thing I don't have any sources behind that. That's number two. What? Brenner's like foie gras. It's like you think it sucks, but you're an idiot. You <laughs> just don't know. You just right. don't guy, know what you're having. The guy you eating sliced taste. mangoes with his booze is now lecturing us on foie gras. You don't have any discernment. Uh, <laughs> men of class, like uh, Harksy and myself, know that Brenner is uh, pure class. Oh, Con- Congratulations. You've just become the Winnie the Pooh meme in real life. I mean, <laughs> he doesn't want to... The only thing I can't figure out with Brenner is I don't want to attribute any motives to the guy because hashtag sources, but either he doesn't want to be here or his agent doesn't want him here. 
his agent would have a reason to not want him here because in FC Cincinnati thus far, he's an asset that's depreciating faster than loop ring meme coin shit. <laughs> um, so one way or the other, I just don't expect him to be here. If yeah. he doesn't want to be here, he's going to find his way out. And if his agent doesn't want him here because he's losing value being here, his agent's going to get him out. So I, I just don't see at this point a reality where Brenner finishes the season in the orange and blue. I just don't or, see it. Or maybe his agent knows the deal from doing the dark arts in Brazil and knows that if he shit, shit talks the team a little bit strategically, he can get the guy more playing time. I'm all about it. Maybe. I'm team Brenner's agent here. The problem, The problem for that gambit is – Vasquez is, as the Brits would say, unplayable. As in, you can't. But take you this guy you have to field. you have to bet on your guy though. If you're Brenner's agent, you're thinking, all right, this guy's quality. You do, but SEC doesn't have to at this point, right? And the other thing right. too is that he has to bet on his guy. But Brenner isn't Albright's guy, and Brenner isn't Noonan's guy, and their reputation isn't on the line if Brenner shits the bed. If it was still Yop Stom and Gerard Nightcamp here, yeah, you play that game because those guys were the ones that went and sold him to ownership and sold the big contract. Albright doesn't owe Brenner a goddamn thing. I'm speculating that maybe it's an egg on his face if he can't unlock value out of him because allegedly the whole idea here is that he's a guy and Noonan's a guy that can develop players and develop young talent. But that's a hell of a risk to put on there with guys that didn't acquire him didn't go to bat for him and just sort of inherited him. Yeah, so I, I think it goes the other way. I think there's very little downside to putting him in the game once you know you're not moving him by whatever the deadline is, whatever night we're recording this. Because he's not your guy. You didn't sign him and spend all that money on him. He had, by some measures, an underwhelming first season. You play him. It doesn't work out. You say, like, you look, he was the big high price signing. We gave him a chance. He didn't work, so we're, we're moving on. And you could just you could just blame it not working out on Nightcamp and his analytics staff uh, poorly evaluating a player. <laughs> the problem with that though is that you got to you still got to look at the locker room and you, you as Albright with Newton more Newton than Albright. He's still got to justify why Brenner's getting a run out there. And he's still got to look. Not doing all that much. I mean, Baji's producing goals with Vasquez. I mean, we're we're number two or number three in expected goals. If you look at the stat sheet, what they're doing is producing a decent amount of goals on the field, and it's resulting in one of the top offensive threats on paper in the entire league thus far. Yeah, but or... Vasquez produced when he started with Brenner at the end of last year. Baji yeah. in multiple multiples of Brenner's minutes is not in the underlying numbers producing that much more and he's producing way less on a per 90 basis right i i think that's fair the concern i would have at this point is and this is unknowable to us and i'd even argue the journalists that are allowed their 15 minute window um is i don't know what he looks like in training and he could be just absolutely just going through the motions and then you do run into an issue where a guy thinks that his price tag has earned him a spot on the field and he's not contributing. And again, I could be disparaging a guy that, as we heard this week, apparently had a hell of a week at training and, and was crushing it. So I'm not saying he's, he's not trying in training. However, 
at this point in the season. It can't be that he doesn't know the playbook, or if it is, that's a huge issue. And it couldn't, you really hope it's not a fitness thing because, again, he should be up to speed at this point. So if he's not playing, he's either not showing it in training or. I don't know. <laughs> Baji's beating him to his spot. It's not It's not a good picture. Yeah, but you know that Albright and Noonan don't care about results right now. Mm. So <laughs> if, you don't care, if you don't care about results right now, give him a run out. And if he sucks, just point and say, see? Well, the problem is they might not, be care, they might not care about results, quote-unquote care, but the one thing they can't afford to do is, do is lose the locker room. And it's one thing to for the, the general manager not to make signings and to play with a short bench, and the, the coach can still go in there and rally the troops, and rah-rah, it's ups against the world, we got to cover, we got to, you know, you're my guys, we're all in the foxhole together. But the minute the, the, the team looks at Noonan and thinks he's not in there for the results, he's not in there, and, and Noonan is punting the season by playing a guy who hasn't earned his spot, who's being outperformed in training, who only has his spot because of his wage bill, then the you run the risk of the guys in the room looking back at him and giving him the vote of no confidence. You, you can't have that from Noonan this close to his starting date. That's You're not going to lose the locker room by rotating one time. All right, no, hold on. Here's the thing. I got I got a few takes here. One, I disagree fully that Baji's not uh, contributing. One, I think he's unlocking the other forward, and he's ri- he's raising the overall sex appeal of the starting lineup. That's number it's key, one. That's true. It's a key metric. Yeah. Number two. <laughs> Hashtag soccer um, crush. <laughs> is that a real take that that, that Noonan and, and Albright are not playing for results? I, I think I have to disagree with that one, too, because, well, they have said they're not punting. We should take them at their word, right? Yeah, but the gaping hole on the roster <laughs> seems to indicate otherwise. We're missing, by my count, a DP, two high XM players a U-22 player, if they were really in it to win it this year, we wouldn't have this many open spots on the roster for multiple games. What if all of those guys were airdropped into Cincinnati three minutes after we wrap this podcast? Well, then my my take would change. But as we record right now, we have a <laughs> roster wouldn't. that is incomplete. Well, fine, Kevin. Come on, signings. Come on, signings. The Charlotte signings. game was an abomination. No, no. On site. <laughs> no, you're you're right. If they do get these guys in, the problem is uh, they don't have them. And we can only judge them, as, as Chief said, we can only judge them based on what we have right now, which is uh, a lot of GAM, which expires at the end of the year, uh, a couple of large holes in the roster, and – increasingly thinning depth we're we're losing outside backs by the match uh we don't have a clear and obvious replacement uh if lucho were to go down we know last year he missed five or six games injuries had Kubo. been a larger issue sure it Kubo, turns out then, we don't it turns out we don't have a replacement from moderito we learned that fucking firsthand right. this week put, Ku, put kubo back there too fuck it let's go <laughs> Baji, Baji can't play with lucho anyway every time he gets a pass from lucho he knocks it six yards back so, so I guess it doesn't matter. If you're going to keep playing Baji, who who cares if you keep playing Lucho? Would, would a team of 11 Luchos beat a team of 11 Kubos? Absolutely, Absolutely not. not. They're far too no. short. <laughs> Kubo the keeper would destroy Lucho the keeper, and I think that's about it. <laughs> but fuck it. If, we're going to put, if that's the solution, that they're the backups to everyone, then we have no 
then that's that's telling as to how bad the depth is on this team. Right, and the problem is Kubo is a starter on the team. So if he's a backup anywhere, we've lost. And playing the out of position, he's playing yes. out of position as we speak. So the, no, he is the should be the argument should be should Baji or Kubo be starting alongside Vasquez? And it's alarm. Well, it should be. <laughs> I don't know. Should be starting alongside Brenner, and it's Vasquez, Kubo, and and Baji competing for the second spot. But hey, we live in the upside down. I think in FCC world. Um, I I mean, look, we could talk about this all night. And uh, to be honest with you, just a couple of yahoos on the outside talking about what we can see. But uh, I got to tell you, part two here. We got somebody on the inside knows what he's talking about. He's seen it all. He's been there. Dan McNally of FC Cincinnati. He's the, uh, I mean, dude, this guy's been involved in everything. He opened up Mercy Health Training. He was running Nipper. He was running TQL Stadium, is running TQL Stadium. I mean, this guy is the real deal. Um, and he's he's buying real estate with Yopstom. So this conversation was fantastic. Uh, figure out how a, uh, a guy from uh, uh, the middle of England ends up in uh, Montana coaching soccer. Part two coming right up. Awesome. Well, we are here, part two of the postcast, and we have an awesome guest. Uh, this is a guy that when we first came up with the postcast idea, it was somebody that we knew we wanted to have on this show. Um I mean, first off, he's the first employee of FC Cincinnati's history. That feels like a pretty good spot on the resume. But here we have Dan McNally. He is officially the director of soccer operations at Mercy Health Training Center. Dan, thank you so much for coming on the old postcast. Oh, I've been excited. Looking forward to this. Thank you for having me. Uh, Dan, I'll, I'll start off with an easy one for you. Uh, in your soccer career, both uh, of, of all aspects of soccer, which was the bigger highlight for you? FC Cincinnati beating Chicago Fire in penalties or the University of Montana State Billings Yellow Jackets picking up three wins on the road in Hawaii? <laughs> well, that's an unbelievable, that's a great question. And I, I commend you on your research, to be fair. But uh, yeah, I was so many, it seems like four lifetimes ago, I was the head coach of Montana State Billings. It seems a, a million years ago, to be fair. But that was a great trip at Division Two school. We went to Hawaii and won three games, which was pretty cool at the time. But I have to say the highlights of my uh soccer life would be that game against Chicago. I, I, I felt that was just <laughs> uh, just a brilliant night. And it's, I actually think about it all the time. I know I'm probably, uh, well, probably you guys do as well, because we all care a lot about FC Cincinnati, but it was just, uh, just a really special night. And uh, yeah, it'll be, I tell people at the club a lot, it'll be, uh, they're probably sick of me saying it, but it'll be, it'll be a hard night to, to beat, I would say. With that night, with FC Cincinnati in general, everything seems to have gone according to plan. The original plan of FC Cincinnati was stretched, was sketched out right from the start when you joined on. So was this win against Chicago Fire, was that part of Jeff Burding's presentation to you? Did he already know in ahead of time that we were going to win that game? That's that's why I signed on the dotted line. He'd already told us the uh, the next three years. No, um, it, it was – no, it was uh, just – I think maybe um, – it kind of summed up the the craziness of our club at that moment 
um, because it was a wild night on and off the field for many different for many different reasons. And uh, I don't know. In my mind, it was just the night where like everything that we all did, all of us that worked and loved the club, it all just came together in a magical. Well, it wasn't ninety minutes. It wasn't one hundred and twenty minutes. It was a long. It was a long <laughs> night, but it was uh, yeah. It was a, it was a brilliant night. A lot of minutes. Yeah, it was a lot of minutes. It was a long night. It was a late <laughs> night as well. I think what stands out for me for that night is, I don't I don't think this is true, but it felt this way that that was the win that got us the promotion to MLS. That all of the eyes of American soccer were on us. We knew we had. Uh, uh, the commissioner in town, the president of U.S. Soccer. It felt like a promotion playoff in a way um, where obviously th- this stuff is not settled on the field, but as much as it could, it did feel that way in that moment. Yeah, no, it definitely did. Um, it, it was a wild night because I, I, if my memory serves me correctly, it was our first national television broadcast. And when you're a club that's only two years old and you're doing a national broadcast and the stadium sold out and we're playing the Chicago fire and we're on this glorious run, it was just such, it was all these different um, things all going on at the same time. And if you remember that night, there was a, there was a protest on the college campus as well um, about things, you know, situations that have happened and around the college. And it was just, it was just a wild night. I mean, on, on every single front really. And, um, yeah, I, I remember speaking to Jeff Birding maybe that night or the morning after and just basically going, there is no way they can turn us down. There is no way. <laughs> like, we have just put ourselves front and centre in the national soccer conversation. And it wasn't just that we won the game. It was the, it was everything. It was the environment. It was the obvious passion we had that had never been really uh, created at that level in the USL to that point probably never will um it was just yeah it, i felt after that game is like i'd like to see them not put us in mls do you know what i mean like how, how does that play <laughs> right. out you know? was weedeman onside <laughs> yeah i i think we needed the old var didn't we that would have been uh yeah it was it's a shame that because it was such a, a an amazing goal it was like a sliding doors moment if Fortunately, it would have been a nightmare if we'd have lost on penalties and that would have been onside, you know, like, um, but then I, I guess it was fate, if you believe in that stuff, the, the way it all happened, you know, in the end. Oh, yeah. Um, Andrew Wiedemann <laughs> should have been the hero, obviously, with that onside goal. Also, if Mitch hadn't saved that last penalty, uh, Wiedemann was next up to take the kick to win the game had he put that one in. Uh, so he yeah. was twice denied the uh, the hero's uh, title there. <laughs> but, Dan, oh, I got to yeah. ask it. So you're yeah. you're from a, a, a small town in England. You're coaching in Montana. How the heck did you go from uh, – and I, I, need your, I need your advice here. Is it yeah. Darren or Darwin, England, before you oh, end up in the U.S.? Darwin, Darwin, okay. England, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my story's a long one. I think you said forty-five minutes. I mean, we might need five hours for this. Uh, you better get yourself a coffee or something. But before I lay it on me, <laughs> if you're falling asleep, just let me know. But oh, there you go, something stronger. Well done. Um, no, <laughs> pretty crazy, really, for me. I was a, um, I was a, uh, the, the full story short. I'll try and make it as brief as I can. But I was a player playing. I was at Blackburn Rovers as a young player which is the town right next to, to Darwin is Blackburn Rovers. And um, I ended up, 
I was there for five years, but then I, I went to a club called Berry FC, which at the time was in League Two, was like an apprentice professional. I was close to making the grade as a pro back home. I think I could have maybe gotten a short-term contract with the team, but the money wasn't really good or anything like that. And I was 18 and I, I ended up playing, um, I ended up getting an, a scholarship offer to play in um, Florida for a school called Embry-Riddle University in Daytona Beach. And um, I, uh, <laughs> so this is a funny story. I'll just tell you, but the um, please the the night um, I played a game for Berry FC against Everton's youth team, and after the game, uh, my dad said, "Hey, there's an Ameri- there's an American college coach wants to speak to you about coming over to America to play college soccer." I'd never been to America, and honestly, at that time in England, I didn't really know the game was really played in America in the mid nineties. <laughs> We didn't really know too Neither much. Neither did about America it. for that matter. Yeah. yeah. And uh, anyway, the, the guy came over to my house, but he was actually from my hometown. He'd gone over to America years before. He'd heard about me. Long story short, anyway, uh, he's telling me about college soccer. And I said, Where, Where's the school again? And he went, uh, Daytona Beach. And I went, Where's that? And he went, Florida. And, uh, and he's, and, he, and I, it's a true story. He put in a video, a cassette of uh, spring break. Daytona Beach. <laughs> I just my, my my two brothers were in the room with me and my dad, and we all just looked at each other and went, "Can I sign now?" Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so on it, I, I signed there and then um, so, because it just looked amazing. Like if you're from Darwin, where I'm from in England, and then you get offered four years scholarship to play in Daytona Beach, it was like, "Wow, it's unbelievable!" So yeah, went there. I did well in college, played at a good level. I was an assistant coach after playing in college in, in Fort Lauderdale. And then I think I'm the only 27-year-old male in history to leave Fort Lauderdale, Florida for Billings, Montana, because I got the uh, head coaching <laughs> job at um, Montana State Billings, which is a Division II school. Um, so that was it was a, I thought it was going to be a stepping stone for me, uh, but I ended up staying for eight years. Met my wife, Jenny. Um, had my first son in, in Montana. But then I got the assistant after eight years. I did quite well. We won a lot of games. Um, and then I got the assistant coaching job at the University of Cincinnati for men's soccer. And that's mm. how I met Jeff Birding. Because when I was assistant coach at the university, I was also coaching club soccer for King's Hammer, earning some extra money. You know, I had a wife, child, just bought a house. I was an assistant coach. I needed, you know, uh, more income, really. So I... Um, I met Jeff because I was coaching his son and uh, we kind of <laughs> got on got on quite well and uh, he liked me and, and he, he asked me to go for a coffee uh, one morning and I thought, because he was president of King's Hammer at that time, I thought he was going to offer me to be like the director of coaching for King's Hammer. But he, no, him and a guy called Gary DeJesus, who you've probably heard in the story as well, Gary DeJesus was pivotal at that time. He was like doing some marketing for the club as a consultant. They, they just told me everything about FC Cincinnati, their their plan. And they said, but we don't have any staff. We have nobody working for the club. And we need you, me, to be the first employee and build out the soccer operation and the stadium operation. And I kind of went for it. I mean, I, I knew Jeff. I knew Gary. I knew they were, you know, genuinely, you know, they had big dreams. And I felt they had the history to, to kind of be, it was realistic. But... We had Carl Linder. We had Nippert Stadium to play games in. And, yeah, I, I signed up there and then. And um, for the first two months of my time at FCC in April and May of 2015, 
I had, we had no office. I was the only person working for the club and I'd go to uh, local coffee shops and think about the soccer operation, the stadium operation. And then I'd go to Jeff's house a couple of nights a week because he was still at the Bengals and we'd discuss all the things I was coming up with. So, yeah, I, I only reason I say that, guys, is because I think I may feel differently about FC Cincinnati than others. You guys probably feel the same way as I do because you've been there from the start. You've seen us when we were like very humble, humble as can be. So I, I guess I see it differently. You know what I mean? I hope that makes sense. So people listening might know Darwin from the Netflix series, The English Game. Yeah. About the yeah. the first, what, like not working class team to win the FA Cup? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh, worth it's really where people say where I'm from is like, that's where football started, but I don't want to. That's great. I mean, people say that about Daytona Beach, Florida, too. That's the <laughs> spiritual and ancestral home of American soccer, yeah. I've been told. Yeah, no. Daytona's the home of a few things, but not soccer. <laughs> I think the uh, NASCAR and the Girls Gone Wild video series, I think, would be the two claims to fame. <laughs> no like comment. One of the top industries in Daytona is receiving alimony. Yeah, well, it was fun times, hey, <laughs> fellas, in all seriousness, I was there from 18 to 22, and good times. And your parents just let you sign that letter to go to college there? There wasn't, like, a second question, like, maybe <laughs> we should think about this a little bit? No, yeah, the, the, the video only, maybe revealing a little too much? The only other question was my dad asked me uh, when he could come out and visit. <laughs> so, when you came to America, uh, 18 years old, what were your first impressions about how the game was different in the United States as you found it versus coming up through the academy systems over in the UK? It was, it was, it was a real culture shock for me because growing up in, uh, in Northern England, um, I mean, where Darwin is, Blackburn is, is, you know, within, within 40 miles radius of my hometown is Liverpool, Manchester United, Everton, Manchester City, Preston, Blackburn, Burnley. I mean, it's a cultural sock. It's a cultural hotbed of, of football in the world. And, um, then you go coming over to America and I'd never been to America, like especially in the mid 90s, I was shocked because I had this misguided thought that the soccer players on campus would be like the main guys. And we were like the afterthought completely. It was the basketball players and <laughs> the baseball players. And it was like, I'm sending him in, captain of the soccer team here. And it's like, who are you? You know. So it was a strange situation for me because it was like, at that time, oh God, how long is that now? Like 25 years ago, 26 years ago, soccer were, isn't, wasn't in the same position as it is now. And it was very much a kind of almost felt like a bit of an outsider sport. So it was a real, really big transition for me. And, um, and then as well, I just think, you know, the, the, the different level was, was pretty noticeable for me going from playing, you know, academy games against, Everton and, and Manchester United and then all of a sudden you're playing in a an, an NEIA conference in, in in Florida the level was 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 a little bit a lot lower do you know what I mean so it, it took time and um, I, I felt that's when soccer though really started to get better though was the late 90s early into the 2000s um, the, the level started to, to rise pretty significantly I mean I, I actually played for a team called the Orlando Nighthawks as well and I think it was the American like third division at the time. And then, you know, com compared to how our players are treated now, compared to what we had back then, I mean, it's it's night and day. The, the game has grown so fast here, you know? And so with that, like, growth of the 
the sport that you've seen during that time period, can you put your your thought is when did it start to change in your mind with in terms of soccer in America? Was there a was there a point where you looked around and saw, oh, it really is catching on here in the United States, or was it more of a yeah, slow gradual? I, I thing? feel for me, I think it was a bit of both. I think it was a slow gradual thing. But then I, in my mind, and hey, listen, it's just an opinion. I think two things were are really relevant. I think um, number one is the Premier League in the Premier League that's broadcast in the US. The quality of the of the production, television wise, got to such a good level where I think it got a real foothold with the uh, the culture over here, um, where it was like you know on Saturday and Sunday mornings you're tuning into these super high level games. But the the way they're broadcasting it was was top level, and so you felt like it was the real deal. And I think that in around the end of you know two thousand eight nine, and then I think the World Cup in South Africa when um, Landon Donovan scored the goal, and and I think that was kind of a tipping point when a lot of kind of things came together, where a new generation of Americans who had really experienced the sport now had this good U.S. national team to be proud of, and there was just soccer to watch kind of on TV, MLS was improving. And I, I don't know how you guys feel. I feel about that time is when it really kicked off. Yeah, I definitely agree on the Premier League aspect of that. Um, we've talked to, we've got a couple other guests where they've all pointed to that idea of the Premier League being, it's accessible, it's well done, it's treated importantly, and the broadcasts are, are incredibly easy to digest for the casual fan. Yeah. But almost... Uh, makes them a direct competitor with MLS in that regard with how now you have a choice between, well, I can also watch the Premier League or I can watch MLS. And sometimes it's putting fans in the position of having to choose between the two products, which is sometimes a difficulty for MLS. I'd yeah, say. I agree with that. I mean, you know, I mean, we, I'm sure we all watched Liverpool, Manchester city yesterday. I mean, it's, I mean, the level of plays is the level of play. I mean, you can't really argue with that, but I, I also think with the Premier League, it just found that perfect niche of like in the mornings, there's no sports on yet. You're waking up, you stick the game on. And, you know, I, I still love uh, when I first moved to Cincinnati, I, I love the, um, you know, all the bars, you go in there in the mornings and, you yep. know, the breakfast, watching the games, yep. maybe a few cheeky <laughs> beers now and again early, if you can get away with it, you know, and um, never too early. <laughs> yeah, <it's true. laughs> um, but, you know, like, I think that really, really helped, um, you know, but now it's exciting times. I mean, I I really think the U.S. men's national team is going to make some noise at the World Cup. I I love the team. I really do. I think they've they've got a good group with England actually, and I think U.S. could make a real statement this winter. They trained at Mercy Health before the Mexico game, right? Yeah, yeah. No, did, it was did, that was cool. Did you have like a role with with helping them coordinate the facility or any, anything like that? Anything you could tell us about that? Yeah, I, I coordinate all of it. I organize all that. Um, so that's my one of my roles is I like oversee everything at the training center. And it was honestly, it was awesome. It was one of the best weeks uh, we've had in the last couple of years, if I'm being honest with your club, with the club. They were gracious. Uh, the, the coaching staff were excellent to work with. Um, they love the facility. So I was, you know, I helped design MHTC. So I was very proud to have our national team come in. And they were all blown away. So you have Christian Pulisic walking around the facility going, this is really nice. And, you know, he's been around a little bit where he's seen some things. So it, it felt <laughs> it felt good. And, um, 
it was just a great week, right? I mean, I, I felt personally, others may disagree, but I felt that was the true opening of TQL, the US men's game. That was so, yep. that was like yep. a fantastic night. That was what we think will be the future. We haven't had those nights yet. I mean, we just haven't. So um, that was a really cool night for us. So I guess my question there is, how do you end up going from coaching to the uh, the director of soccer operations? What, how was that transition? That, those feel like very different worlds to me. It, it is a it is a different world, but I'll tell you, Kevin, it's 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 helped me tremendously, and it's why I think I've probably lasted seven years doing what I'm doing, is because in my world I have to work alongside the coaches and organize the operation, soccer operation behind the scenes, which has many different parts to it. But I think through all our coaching staff, so you John Harks, Alan Koch, um, Ron Jans, you know, Yap Stam and, and obviously, and Johan when he was interim and now Pat, very different people, very different characters, right? Very different ideas and how they want to do things. But because of my background, I think we all talk soccer. So they know that I kind of get it from a coach's perspective. Now, hey, fair play. I've never coached at their level, but they know I know the game. Do you know what I mean? And I think it really helps me yeah. communicate with them and work with them and build relationships. So I think my background's helped me a lot. Dan, you, you occupy a, an interesting space for me because you are behind the scenes, but you have been the director of soccer operations. And I don't know what FC Cincinnati isn't, but a soccer operation. Um, I'll leave this one a little more open-ended to you. Is there anything from the early days that fans might be shocked to learn about or or a funny tidbit of uh, of you and John Harks remembering <laughs> the good old days? I, I don't know. I don't know uh, what you may have for us. I'm not sure what tea you can spill for us, basically. <laughs> <laughs> well, part, part of my job is to make sure, you know, I, I – I get trusted with a lot of stuff. Do you know what I mean? And, and um, but I, I will tell you, <laughs> there are a lot of stories. And one day I may write a book. To be fair, and it's going to be. A, I think it'll be funny if nothing else. You know, um, I, I'll say this: I have a I have a lot of respect for John Arch. What he did here, he was a character. John was an absolute character, um, and he was he was good to work with um, for me. And he was the right man at the right time for our club. He really helped us launch. And he had he was a very charismatic guy. And there were some really good times with John. Um, I'd say some a few things that, that interested me about John. It was it was, I think it was a I think it would be a challenge to be John Hawks. I always used to think that because in a certain community, the soccer community, he was the captain of the national team. He he led us in two World Cups. And, um, and and you could go to airports and people would be like, wow, that's John Harks. And you felt like, wow, you know, yeah, it is John Harks for those of us that love the game. But then in other situations, he was not, he, nobody knew who he was. You know what I mean? So it must have been a strange headspace right. at times <laughs> that I always felt. Um, but um, I'll tell you one story that's not going to incriminate anyone or anything, but um, we used Dude. to <laughs> we used to train at Nippert Stadium, obviously, in those early days. And uh, it was really easy in the spring because um, none because the students used to be allowed to go on the field after we trained. And I knew this, mm. but John didn't. And I didn't really want to tell John because I knew he'd, he'd, he'd be so upset about it. 
<laughs> but it was all right in the early spring because it was cold and it was wet and there was no students there. And then this one day happened probably about this time of year. It's a beautiful day, absolutely gorgeous, an April day, and it's all of a sudden it's 75, 80 degrees, right? And we train, great stuff. Everyone goes back into that old locker room we had under the Bailey. And, and John's, we made him a little office right next underneath there, <laughs> right in the center. It's crazy now <laughs> to think about it, but that's what we did. And then I stick my head out of the door while they're all having a meeting. And all of a sudden after training, there's, in my mind, there's 250 kids on our field just going nuts. Frisbees, everything, right? Just craziness. And I go back in and I'm like, oh, no, no, this is not a good day for this to happen because it hadn't been a good practice. I think we'd lost the game. We didn't lose many back then, but we had lost the game. And um, and I'm like to myself, do I tell John or do I just hope that everyone like leaves before he leaves? And uh, anyway, I was going <laughs> thinking about how I approach it. And anyway, all of a sudden, there must have been some kids playing soccer on the field near the Bailey and someone's hit a soccer ball as hard as they can. It has smashed into his door. He was in the middle of a meeting and he goes like, what the F is that? What the, what is going on out there? And I'm like, please don't open the door. Please don't open the door. He swings the door open and there's just hundreds of people. And I'm like, oh no, disaster. And of course, what did John do? John walked right into the center of the field and just started kicking people off the off the turf. Get off my field, get off my field. And I'm like, no, John, you can't do that. They're allowed to be there. And he's like, get off my effing field. And oh, it was, yeah. Oh my it was god, funny. that's incredible. You, you can't you can't you can't say that. They pay forty thousand dollars a year to use that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I tried to explain that to John afterwards, but he was like looking at me like I was from a different planet. Um, oh no, John! John was good. I, I remember. Um, you know what? I, I got fairly close to John over the year. I was traveling with the team then, and um, yeah, we 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 had a lot of long chats, me and John. And he was he was a good he was a good guy. And um, you know, soccer's a tough business. And um, but I always remember like uh, another one was we won we played Charlotte. And remember, it's that that tournament we tried to create with charlotte for this trophy i don't even know if we still do that <laughs> yes but, yeah we did okay. i hadn't thought about that in years wow yeah well I forgot that was a thing yeah well we we kind of went down there after this long trip on the road and the la final trip on the road was was charlotte and uh we lost the game three two but i think we won the trophy by goal differential <laughs> or something do you remember that? I can't even remember it, but it was some the awkwardness of John absolutely going nuts with the guys in the locker room after the game. And then I had to quietly say, uh, John, the mayor of Charlotte is outside with our trophy and you need to go and receive it. <laughs> and he was, it was, there's a photo of it and it's just, it's, it's awesome because he looks like he wants to kill people. And uh, she's so happy that she's giving off the... Uh, giving off the trophy but yeah it's just wild times guys like 2016 was as fun as it can be it really was and oh john was gosh. the ringleader we were we were we were getting 25,000 people at games john harks is the coach he's uh, it was fun really really fun times <laughs> So, so when was the moment in 2016? John Harks is the coach, and I'll tell you what it was for me. The the moment it was for me that FCC became real was when I was shopping at a Kroger, 
and I heard over the PA system, hi, I'm John Harks from FC Cincinnati, and he was doing a live read in the grocery store. And all I could think about is, what in God's name is a minor league soccer coach doing at Kroger? And then all of a sudden I realized, oh, this might be a big deal. So for you, when was the moment in that first year where you sort of realized to yourself, hey, we might have something here. This might be a thing. When would when did that hit you? I, it, it really hit me really hard. Not the opening game against um, the, the first game, the home game at Nipper, um, Charleston. Was it? No, it wasn't Charleston. It was uh, was it was it Charleston? I can't remember the first the first home. Oh, um, yeah, back the first home game at Nipper. I think it was, it was Charlotte. Charleston was the first game ever away at yeah, Charlotte. Yes, that's right. Or yeah. Charleston, yeah. So home at Charlotte. was the first yeah. game. But then the first home game, we got like 15,000 people. But I always thought at the back of my mind, like this, we'll get a good crowd in the first game. I always felt we would. It was the second game. I think we played Louisville and we sold yep. an extra 5,000 tickets and we tipped over at 20,000. And I was like, well, why word? This is um this is this is getting crazy. But I'll tell you when I really realized we were going nuts was at that time, this is a behind the scenes story. You know my background. I was put in charge of FCC merchandise the first six months of the season in 2016. I was in charge. I was doing everything. <laughs> and we had and we had a closet at Fourth Street that we were selling gear out of, a closet. And that year, as far as I'm aware, we sold more merchandise than the Miami Dolphins. And I can tell you that it was insanity <laughs> on the merch side. But one day, we we were selling so much gear at Nipper that we couldn't handle it in the stadium. It was just the lines were too big. We just didn't have enough people. So we made the decision to open the downtown store on the morning of games, right? To kind of like let people come and get some gear. So one, we did this for one game, and I'm in there at like 11 a.m. We open up, and by lunchtime, 12 o'clock, the place you couldn't, you could not move. Like it was, I'm kind of running it with a few interns. There's people lined up all the way down to the hotel down the street, and I'm like, oh my god, this is nuts. Anyway, I'm in there, and there's people trying to get gear and everything, and a fire engine pulls up outside Fourth Street, and I was like, right. This is it. I'm gonna. Have, I've, I have caused the entire Fourth Street to get closed down. Our offices are gonna get shut down. Like, I'm probably gonna get fired on Monday morning. And uh, anyway, I go out, all trying to be all professional to the firemen who jump off the truck. And I'm like, guys, I'm really sorry. I really apologize for everything here. This is on me. Um, this won't happen again. And they're like, what are you talking about? We're coming to the game tonight. We want some gear. So. <laughs> so <laughs> So I went back into Fourth Street and I said, whatever these guys want, they can get. And we gave them their first. All the people in line are cheering and clapping and they left <laughs> honking the horns. And I'm like, we've got out of control. Like, it's just all <laughs> happening now, you know? So you were in charge of merch that first year. Yes. It, it was amazing yeah. how... And I remember I was talking with my, my father about this when I took him to his first game, was that the number of people you saw that first year that were wearing gear in the stadium. Yeah. This wasn't just something where people were coming to check it out. They had bought the shirt. They were fully invested that first year. And that that was kind of cool when you saw all that. But that had to feel good for you, too, knowing that we're 
running on empty and we're running on fumes, but at least we're getting everyone a shirt oh, that fits. Yeah, we made a fortune. <laughs> um, I'll tell you the other one. Since, is it Cincy Shirts? Yeah. They were the company that like yeah. took over and started designing stuff. Well, the guy that runs Cincy Shirts is a, he's a nice fella. Um, in the early days, he uh, we went for lunch and he's like, can I produce some FCC gear? And uh, he bought me lunch and I said, sure. We signed a small contract and then Next thing you know, he's making, he's got a double store going because he's sold so many. <laughs> that's, that's probably why they pulled me from uh, merchandise after that one. <laughs> just, just signing away the house. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the moment for me when it was real is when uh, in the first year there were scalpers for a uh, third division uh, soccer team. That was incredible. There were, there were guys buying and selling secondhand tickets. That blew my mind. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that Crystal Palace game was something. Yes, yes. yeah. Palace game was um, that, that's. I mean, it's. I don't know if we've told this story before, but the Palace game was. We were really fortunate because um, they were on a three-game tour, and their middle game. I want to believe it was against. It was in Charlotte. I'm not sure. It, maybe it was against Charlotte, but that game got cancelled. So they were going to Philadelphia Union. A game got cancelled, and they were going to go to Vancouver. The third game. And um, we just, through an agent, um, randomly called uh, me and Jeff, or Jeff, I can't remember who at the time, and said, would you want to do this game? And we got an unbelievable deal out of it because um, because we stepped in late, we were able to to work a contract that was very favorable on our end. And um, it was it was fantastic because I don't think anyone realized that we'd just sell, you know, 35,000 tickets immediately. <laughs> And speaking of 35,000 tickets, that was the last game we sold at Nippert with 35,000 seats. So was there something that you saw as the director of stadium ops that made you consider never again for this many tickets? I'll tell you, that's a long story. I will t- I'll tell you that it was it was a discussion afterwards. That's all I'll say. But it was full. It was full. It was it was it was wild in the stadium. So wild. Was, uh, were there plans like farther out to have an international friendly, or was it something that there was a good response to the stadium and you had this opportunity? It just kind of came together like that. I would say it came together. I mean, at the time, you know, you got to remember, guys. We we we'd only launched a year before. We were still onboarding staff. We were still learning how to do games in in Nipper Stadium. Um, there was so much going on all at the same time, and um, this kind of fell in our lap. I'm sure in the future we would have done games, but I don't think in that moment we thought about 2016. But yeah, it was uh, that was a brilliant part of 2016 as well. The whole behind the scenes stuff. They showed up, and we had the Bengals training ground set up for them, and um, they they were awesome though. They got really into the spirit of it, if I remember rightly. And uh, Alan Pardew loved it, so it was. It was fun times. Yeah, Party said it was like a cup final for uh, friendly. He was <laughs> he was blown away by that one. Yeah, yeah, you get you get lucky with these things sometimes. And like, remember the Crystal Palace fans? They brought some people, and they were in a party atmosphere. They were cool to be with, and you know, I uh, just a random story. But the day after the game, um, yeah, Wilfred Zaha had to um, had to go home. He didn't go to Vancouver. He had to go home. Because I think he might have picked up a little injury or something in the mm. game, and yeah, I was driving to CVG with Wilfred Zaha Sunday morning, like, <laughs> <laughs> just making small talk with him. Just he's a nice fella, you know. 
That's... Did you, did you ask him? Did you ask him if he tried Skyline Chili while he was in town? No. <laughs> I, I don't do that one. That's not for me. I can't get away with that. Oh. And by the way, Dan, UC already made it to the Big Twelve, so now uh, we can admit to everybody that that stadium doesn't hold forty thousand people, but it looks good as a bullet point when uh, when they're bidding on a better conference. So, yeah. well, hey, I'm not saying anything. <laughs> oh man do you um do you ever miss nipper is there anything nostalgic or are you just so happy to be in a uh, a proper football stadium i miss nipper um i really do i think yeah. um i i think the obviously tql stadium's unbelievable right it's a gorgeous venue um but nipper has sold to me like I don't know. In that moment, it really fit who we were. Um, just everything about it, the bowl, the ease of walking around the stadium, the march, it was perfect. The Bailey was perfect size. Um, I miss Nippert. I think it was an unbelievable home advantage for us. The saddest thing for me at FCC ever is that we never got to say goodbye. That's the saddest thing for yep. me. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to think on some one day we'll be able to go back and do a, a proper send-off, not this year, not next year, one day. I just feel that's the one thing that absolutely kills me about all that was um, we should have had a brilliant night in Nippert to say goodbye. We really should have, and it would have been awesome. But I have great memories of Nippert. I mean, just everything, like, you know, even the March was amazing, the Bailey was amazing, but little things that we did after the after the game, you know, um, you know, this is I, – I was in – charge of this but we let fans down and we'd be signing autographs for an hour Ledesma Manu would be signing autographs without his shirt on for about an hour after the game and, uh, Jimmy would be out there and you know and it was just a fun you know it was probably not as professional as it is now you know people were on the field it felt good though I mean sometimes magic is in the air you know what I mean and you shouldn't get in the way of that so is part of the the appeal of Nipper sort of that American soccer lacks a sense of history? Everything is brand new with a brand new coat of paint on yeah. it. And if you go, I mean, you're well aware yeah. of this. You go over to the U.K. and Europe, a lot of old grounds with, you know, ghosts haunting the hallways yeah. a little bit. And that was kind of what Nipper was like to a certain extent. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I basically, in a sense, invented the Bailey. Right, it's my claim to fame. That was my thought. Um, because of my background, I knew we needed a place behind the goal where our hardcore support can go. And I'm a huge Liverpool fan. I love Liverpool. The cop behind the goal is the soul of the club. It's the heartbeat of the club. And the nipper gave us that opportunity, I felt, to have that one end where it was it was the real deal. It was wild in there. Do you know what I mean? Like I, the march when it used to yeah. come in and it just felt right. It felt we were creating something different that it was like, this is to me where I'm from. This is football. This is football. People coming to the game, getting a cheap beer, getting in the stadium, supporting your club, like having a good time. And 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 I think uh, that's the beauty of it. Um, and I think that's what we still have to do at TQL. COVID really hurt our club. I think COVID hurt us because I think we did a great job in those early years of connecting and COVID kind of separated people. And now hopefully, you know, 
knock on wood here that um, we'll get back to a um, bit more normal times. But for me, that's what we have to create in TQL. TQL is amazing. It's beautiful. I love it. But we need the soul back. We need Nippert, the feeling of Nippert to move into TQL. And we need to put a better, you know, get a better team on the pitch and win some games. I, I get that, obviously. But that's the one thing I think we're missing right now is that feel. That was a Coliseum, guys. Like yeah. that night against, I tell you, the, the night was the loudest was the New York. We lost the New York Red Bulls game. Yeah. The, what we lost yeah. three two when Austin Berry scored that header. Oh. Remember, oh my God! I mean, you could. It was amazing. Amazing. <laughs> when Austin Berry scored that goal, I was trying to figure out if I was going to drive to Kansas City or fly to Kansas City. I was already <laughs> on to the final. <laughs> I know. I know. It was. Uh, it was really, really, really great venue for us, and hopefully, we'll get a chance to say goodbye. Saying that, TQL offers us everything that we need moving forward. As, as a professional club, Nippert wasn't sustainable. How can I? That's the best way I can put it. You can't manage this business for the next 25 years in Nippert Stadium. You need TQL. But I will say, and I'm just being honest, that we need to take the feeling of Nippert and get it in TQL. Man. God, I'm ready to run through a fucking brick wall right now. That's exciting. <laughs> Tell you, man. Bring it back. That's what we need. Bring it yeah, back. Like, Bring oh, the feeling back. That's 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 what that's what it's about. That's that's what made us special in those first three years. We had it was the feeling. It's it was the soul we created instantly. That's what had never been done in, in US soccer, I don't feel that quick at that level. Is we just hit it perfect. Like it was the it was I say it all the time. It's everyone together. It's the people who work for the club, the players, the coaches, the the hardcore support that love us, the, the the fans that come in to take a look at us and get swept away on the emotion. It's everything. That's what we need. That's what we need to bring back. <laughs> I, I'm right there with you, Dan. I a hundred percent. Maybe uh maybe a women's team. You know, maybe their inaugural games at Nippert. Maybe that's a way to to bleed them into the city and then uh, and then get into the uh, TQL Stadium. Um, mm. Speaking of history, I don't know if you know this, but Nippert was host uh, to one of the very first uh, English teams doing a uh, like a, a glory a glorified friendly overseas. Plymouth Argyle played some local all-stars in 1909 at Nippert <laughs> Stadium. Um, it's just incredible that Nippert's soccer history uh, goes yeah. back over a, a hundred years at that point. Um, yeah. Wow. And yeah, to, to a point that old uh, Chief brings up often, uh, American soccer uh, afraid of embracing its own history. Um, I, I Before you go on, Kevin, yeah, I, I, please, I agree please. with I agree with what you say there in like, I, I see it from both sides, obviously, because I come from a place where it's the natural culture, but this is, this is a different country. America is, is, is building its own soccer culture and there's, there's things to be proud of. There's mistakes, but in every country in the world, there's things to be proud of and there's, there's been horrendous mistakes been made. Um, but we should, you know, and I've lived here many years now, I've lived here like 26 years. I've got American sons. I'm married to an American woman and, you know, I care about the culture, soccer culture here. And this is exciting, really, because we're still building it to a certain extent. But there's been so many successes. Do you know what I mean? Just got to keep going. 
for sure. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of building on successes, uh, how how much room is there to expand around the Mercy Health Training Center? Um, if say uh, another uh, orange and blue team were to show up into town, what what if uh, what if they expanded? What does that look like? Well, is it you know? I mean, I'll, I'll answer that question like this: is we've asked, we've added FCC two this year, right? So nice. it's, uh, yeah. that's been a that's been a, a big a heavy lift, and it's going well. But um, yeah, you know, I think uh, MHTC is a wonderful venue, um, but we have three fields at MHTC, so there's obviously. It, over time, there's going to be on some level a need for expansion because if you just look at what we have now, a first team, a second team, five academy teams. So, um, you know, it's just going to be a, a natural expansion over time. And that's just the way the way it'll go. Um, and I don't think that's it's it's kind of normal, I think, for clubs to to start and to grow and, and, and do it through levels and structures. Because one thing with MLS is that, you know, sometimes in this business things can change course and what is now normal four years ago when we started the plans for all this of the training center you know fcc2 didn't exist do you know what i mean we weren't thinking right. that the academy's grown so fast so yeah there's right. there has to be room for expansion because the club's just growing so fast for sure i think uh southampton has like eight or nine fields at their training center so yeah yeah no it's, one day um, right one day one day uh so the next big thing on the horizon that i'm looking at is cincinnati is a potential world cup venue mm. what would it mean to you and what would it mean to the city of cincinnati in your opinion if we were selected to host the World Cup in this town, from the growth of soccer to what it says about Cincinnati as a soccer community? I would say everything. I mean, again, I think it would be uh, an unbelievable achievement for everyone who's been involved in that. And basically, that's I would consider everyone involved in soccer in Cincinnati has played a part in that by you know building this soccer culture that we have here. Um, for the game here, it would be enormous. Um, but I, I think anyway, like youth soccer here is pretty good anyway. Um, but I think the what will really turn everyone's heads is the economic impact of having uh, nations kind of come into Cincinnati for however long that is, however many games we'll, we would be able to get. Um, and you can just imagine, imagine if we got Ireland and ev all the Irish fans oh. come over to downtown Cincinnati. <laughs> imagine, if we get, imagine if we were to get Germany. Like, it would be, you know, it would be pretty crazy. So I think just... All in all, it would be an unbelievable situation. It's all I think it would be like getting a Super Bowl, but there you go. If we get Senegal, you can drive Sadio Mane to the airport. I'd say, well, that'd be uh, <laughs> lifetime achievement stuff right there. How do you feel about the team right now? Uh, yeah, I, I really uh, I've been impressed um, with, the, with the structure we've put in place now uh, for this season. And... Um, you know, I, I think um, that the team is, is starting to, to build, I, I would say. And listen, obviously, I'm an employee of the club, but I do feel we need time with the with the, the staff and, and, and how we're going to build it. I don't think this is a, I don't think it's an overnight quick fix. I think it's a progression. Um, but I think if we want to get to where we, we would like to end up, which is a, we, we're an ambitious club. We've always been that way. We have, um, you know, ambitions to to compete. But I think it's going to be. I think it's going to need time, and I think we have enough uh, 
quality soccer people in this city that will understand that. I think if they can, if everyone can see that there's a vision and there's a and there's a thought process to how this is going, I think um, that's 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 what we need. We we are going to need some time now. Just just realistic guys, you know. So to you, uh, being involved in this on a daily basis, what has been the biggest change that you've seen since Albright and Noonan have come into the club? Um, for, for me, I think that they, they, it's, it's an obvious thing, right? They bring uh, an MLS background and a know-how of this league um, and how it operates and um, everything from how we planned uh, preseason, daily schedule, um, it's just you, there's a feeling of a little bit more MLS experience. And that's not to say anything about previous people that have worked uh, for our club and worked very hard. But uh, Chris and Pat obviously bring a great deal of experience of, of MLS to, to our club. And and uh, we need that. It's just a fact. We needed that. And um, I think they've made a good start. It's a lot of hard work in front of us. But um for me, the first impressions have been really strong. Is there uh, any truth to uh, Yop Stom going uh, two-footed into tackles and training at uh, at Old Mercy Health Training Center? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. No, I will say Yap. Yap was a good guy for me. He he always treated me really well. Yap was a Yap was a an intense guy for sure, and you had to respect his background and. Yeah, he did bring on staff games at, at MHTC, and uh, <laughs> it was pretty cool. I've got to say, you know, it was a really good thing that he did. And you know, when you're lining up against Yap Stam um, in a game, you know, uh, it's, it was pretty good. But uh, I felt I did all right, you know. <laughs> but he, he took it serious, Shut- though. Yap took it serious. You had to, you had to play. Like if, you know, you couldn't have too much time on the ball. Should I say? Yeah, I don't think Yap Stam is capable of giving it half-assed effort in anything when it comes to being on a soccer pitch. No, no. But, you know, it's a shame with Yap. He, uh, he, he had, you know, it's a tough business, and he was always good to me. Do you know what I mean? Like, he was always good around yeah. me, and I enjoyed working with him. It's just, um, it's a results business. Do you know what I mean? You mentioned it being kind of weird to be John Harks because in some circles he's very, very famous, in other circles he's anonymous. That's got to be even more true with somebody like Yap Stam coming over and walking around like Loveland or something. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It, yeah, it was kind of. It was kind of bizarre at times, you know. But uh, it's funny. Me and Yap, I I helped him find his place where he lived, and we were driving around Cincinnati on like his fourth or fifth day here, and um, you know, I was just driving him around the city, and we were looking at loads of different houses, and with this realtor who was in a different car. And it suddenly dawned on me after about an hour that, yeah, me and Yap Stam driving around Cincinnati looking for houses. <laughs> like, <laughs> how is this happening? And you could say I look a bit like him. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, um, it was just funny though because I was like, we got into some like good conversations, and I was asking him, I was saying like, you know, I listen to on, I always watch, uh, like watching um, Roy Keane. I don't know if you watch it on YouTube in the evenings, like on Sundays after the the games yeah. back home. You watch Roy Keane and he's so outspoken on the stuff. And I was asking him about the locker room back at United and he was uh, telling me all the stories as we were driving around Cincinnati. I'm like, yeah, it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> telling you guys, the book, the book's going to be something. The book, I oh. I would pre-order the book. Yeah, absolutely. I would, that would be a, a day one pre-order. Pat Brennan's <laughs> always knocking on my door, you know, but I've got um, I've got stories to tell yet. I've still got time, I hope. You never know. <laughs> no, I think it's great that uh, 
you know, a playing career that didn't quite go the the way you thought it might, or or even the way it could have, and you uh, you still ended up in America, driving uh, driving around a midwestern city with Yopstom. I I think you ended yeah. up in the right spot in the end, right? Like that's that's where yeah. it ends up anyway. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I tell I've got some friends that made it a little bit further along the line than I did, and they're all like plumbers now and that back home in England. And I'm like, look at me, I'm still with Yapstam. <laughs> <laughs> Thirty years later. <laughs> so I, I do have one one final question. Yeah. Um, November twenty fifth, twenty twenty two, USA England. Number one, who you rooting for? Number two, what's the result? Oof. Well, Ooh. I have to be honest, guys, and I say this to my two little boys as well. When England play, I support England. That's a fact, and that's the way it is. Whenever, any time <laughs> the US is playing anyone else but England. Support the US, but when it's the three lions, it's England. It's uh, <laughs> listen, what can I say? I still haven't watched any games from Euro 2020 because I can't bring myself to watch it because I know how it all ends. It's just so painful that uh, actually, after the game, <laughs> lost to Italy. Um, Ugh. I was in the pitch across from TQL, oh. and um, after the game, I was with a group of people and they lost me. I just started wandering around OTR on my own, like I just in a daze of. <laughs> and then so yeah I still I'm not over that so the World Cup comes around I think England have got a good team I really do we've got a really good generation I actually think the US team is really good like I said I think both teams will qualify out the group if I had to put my life on it I'd say I think England can win that game 2-1 but I think it'll be close um, I just I, I, I feel England have got a chance this winter the thing is with England I think um, it's funny with the World Cup being in, in the winter, it actually hits in the midpoint of the Premier League where the players will be at their peak fitness. Normally in the summer tournaments yeah. after a full year of Premier League, the English players, and it's not only English players, but we tend to be tired, a lot of injuries, where we might hit the ground running big time in um, the World Cup. But we'll see. I, I, I do think the US have got a hell of a team. And you said 2-1 is your score prediction. Will that one goal be scored by Brandon Vasquez? Oh, hey, nothing to make, <laughs> nothing to make me happier than that. I'll tell you something. <laughs> Brandon Vasquez has been the real deal since the day he got in Cincinnati. And he's worked incredibly hard. He's a really nice guy, as it happens. But, you know, he genuinely is. He was the same guy when he got here that he is now. And um, I can tell you the hard yards he's been putting behind the scenes, first into training, last to leave I've got a lot of time for Brandon and I think a lot of people are very happy about his success he reminds me of some of the players we had in the past in the in the early mm. days same mentality I, I have a soft spot for Brandon for sure oh that's music to my ears <laughs> that makes me feel so so happy about this season um yeah. Dan I I gotta say thank you so so much for coming on, man. I I could do this all night, but I eventually I gotta go help my wife take care of these kids. So, <laughs> so I know my 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 house is a zoo. These guys know all yeah. about it. So um, yeah. no, thank you so much. Uh, you've done incredible work. Uh, you're employee number one, and uh, let's 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 keep these uh this good progress going we're building something here in cincinnati you've been uh the biggest part of that and uh, we're we're huge fans of you over here so thank you so much oh thank you guys for having me and uh 
listen, I, I really appreciate what you guys do as well. I, I think it's awesome that we've got a, a, a strong fan culture with our club and supporters. And like I said, I always say the same thing. We're all in this together. We're trying to build this. Um, and yeah, there's ups and downs, but um, I think we'll get where we want to go in the end. Awesome. Awesome conversation with Dan. That was that was so much fun. And if you were not familiar with Dan McNally before that one, psh, consider yourself familiar. Um, guys, we got a, a couple of things happened this week. It was an off week, but that doesn't mean there was no news going on. We've got the Open Cup. Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> we've, we've got the, uh, the Open Cup draw. We got Pittsburgh. Uh, Das Harks, uh, were you sad to learn that uh, Louisville wasn't a a potential uh, draw in this one, or were you happy? I was just fine, honestly. I, I think we got the best of of, uh, of all possible worlds. Uh, Columbus has to deal with those fucks from Michigan, uh, and then uh, we get to play Pittsburgh, which it's always fun to beat up on Pittsburgh, uh, God willing. And uh, I'm kind of done seeing Louisville for a while. I mean. Uh, you know, it, it's yeah. There, there are our main rivals from the good old days, but uh, it just wasn't very inspired. I didn't, I wasn't in the mood to hear any GB jokes from outside the house. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy with where we are. Fuck the other guys. <laughs> the open cup draw itself was hilarious. I don't know if did did either of you, Grayson or uh, or Chief, watch the draw? Absolutely. I oh, have no God. life. This was it's. It, I enjoyed the fact they used the old Louisville City logo. That made me really happy. <laughs> apparently, no one had updated their clip art files in the last three years. And it was there's something so delightfully low budget about everything that the U.S. Open Cup is. Yes. It, it feels like the entire thing is produced on a fifty dollar budget. That money found under the couch cushions goes to fund the U.S. Open Cup, and just the envelopes and stacking them on the table like it's the cards from people that you don't care about on your fireplace at christmas that's so specific (laughs) (laughs) no it's i know exactly what he's talking about there i love the uh the two random fans that i'm guessing didn't realize they were picking every single envelope i bet they thought they were just picking the south florida draws (laughs) <laughs> they got handed the, uh, the the New England group and thought, oh shit, we're we're in this for the full hour and a half or whatever that broadcast was. Maybe maybe I was too triggered by the World <laughs> Cup draw when I watched that, but I was fully expecting to see a Qatari guy show up out of nowhere and start picking ping pong balls out of a out of a bucket. I just assume that happens with every one of these cup draws yes. that somebody finds himself over there. By virtue of dropping ten billion dollars on someone in a bribe money, oh, one day when U.S. soccer fully funds the U.S. Open Cup, we'll get a Open Cup legends drawing these, and um, <laughs> I I don't know what's happening. Grayson, help! <laughs> um, there is a uh, is this breaking news? There is. I don't know. It looks like FC Cincinnati is teasing a signing right now. It dropped. <laughs> it, dropped it dropped a minute ago. 
There's a graphic of a guy uh, kind of pressing, like pulling a, a blank jersey out of a box and and using some type of device to press it. So we may have to do an emergency Wait. <laughs> update. 9.30 p.m. They are <laughs> pressing a jersey. Oh, my God. This is... We we may have to record until this news drops. <laughs> Yo, Kevin, text text that person we know. <laughs> I've I've technically already done two, so uh, third one and final one. Fucking source though, what's up? Also, can we talk about what a savage move it is to drop this tease at nine thirty on a Tuesday when they know that we're recording? Right? <laughs> no we told Dan McNally, we're recording right now. He knows on, this. On opening day of all days. Folks, <laughs> this is the miracle of live production right here. Hold on, for real? Is it happening? This is so good. This is so good. I No way. Again, anonymous source. Here's literally verbatim. New DP. I can't remember his last name. <laughs> <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Hey, I don't no, like no, the seriously. ambiguity of it. <laughs> I this uh, is absurd. Oh no! Oh no! I'm, I'm told he's not that exciting. Oh jeez! Oh jeez! Let's pour some cold water on this. According to whom? <laughs> you just said it was a DP. How's that not exciting? It's Alan Cruz. <laughs> Hashtag sources. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Oh my God! This is so funny. <laughs> Oh, oh man! Wait, 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 wait! Right now. Um, oh wait, this Uh-oh. is later. No, there's no. a <laughs> statement from Phil Castellini. I apologize to Reds fans and regret the comment I made earlier today. We love this city. We love this team. We love our fans. I understand how our fans feel, and I am sorry. <laughs> Go fuck yourself forever. Get out of Not here. Not the breaking news we needed, but <laughs> I mean, look, this is a point, Chief, that you've brought up. On on podcast pass and and I, I don't think it was the last one, but it was if you're FC Cincinnati and you hear that you're the summertime alternative, and if you hear where else are you gonna go, oh my god, I'd be making a campaign about that right now. Absolutely, we're where Absolutely. you can go. Yes, you know, if it's me and I hear that statement this morning, and I, I I can't encourage people enough to go and find the clip of Phil Castellini basically shitting on every Reds fan who has had the audacity to maybe ask a question about why the team is not spending money, why they're cutting players to let them sign elsewhere without trying to get a trade asset back for them. Um, Listen to the clip, and you'll be infuriated. But if I'm FC Cincinnati, of course I'm announcing this signing tonight. Of course I'm shitting all over opening day. If I'm the Reds, I'd be thrilled that... My dipshit kid is out of the media circus for 24 hours now as everyone gets excited about a soccer signing. But, yeah, if I'm FC Cincinnati, I'm after this team now. The Reds don't want your business. We would love you to come down to TQL Stadium. I forget, like we were talking about on the podcast a while ago. Start honoring Reds tickets. You bring any Reds ticket with you to the box office, we will give you an equivalent value FC Cincinnati ticket. Please come enjoy our product. I love it. Fuck them. Would guy, Carl wouldn't do that to his dad's team, though, right? He sold not it, his man. Not his dad's team anymore. Yeah. Nah, not anymore, but yeah, it was... 
Well, here's the thing. Castellini, Castellini insulted FC Cincinnati by saying, where else are you going to go? Saying, That's where true. else are you going to get a sports entertainment product during the red season? There really isn't an option unless it's FC Cincinnati. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm trying to think of like a good relatable analogy for this. And uh, so Phil Castellini reminded me of like the dude at the uh, at the commune who like farms the kale. And he's like, oh, for a long time, he's like, okay, I know you guys need the kale because you got to make chips. And he doesn't realize that now there's like a guy with taro and there's a guy with plantains and we got other places to go for our healthy chips. And he just acts like kale is, is all there is. Right. The whiteness right, of this so we, conversation so I, so start, has exceeded we, my capabilities. So we started with sliced mango and liquor, <laughs> wine from the Bordeaux region of France, uh, foie gras, and now fucking kale chips. I've loved yeah, it. you you have forced me to drink Hennessy no, after this. No, it's, but it's a I, I'm what, lost. What fucking podcast am I on this week? To defend Grayson, and I don't know why I am, but I will. I had a similar conversation with my wife, which is, it's amazing to me that Castellini can can claim poor when FC Cincinnati's ownership group is roughly worth somewhere in the neighborhood of $12 billion, I think, all in, uh, across their various billionaires. Castellini is rich. He is not professional sports team wealthy. Uh, FC Cincinnati's no. ownership group is. They can no. they can afford to piss away a lot of cash on a vanity project. And I, I Castellini's comments to me were fighting words to FC Cincinnati in addition to Reds country and every Reds fan that has stuck through this team. No, the Castellini, the Castellinis are, are SEC football booster wealthy. They are not professional sports team wealthy. And, and the idea of this whole, what was also offensive was in this fucking interview, he has the, the, the balls to say, well, if you if we sell this team, it's moving. So we're the best you guys are going to do. I, I don't believe that, A, no. um, at all. But come on. That's a Mike Brown move. Mike Brown is the guy that threatens to move the team if he doesn't get his way. Like, I, I, want, all the energy, I want all the energy that people had for fuck Mike Brown for the last 20 years. I want that on Castellini right now. And I know the city's capable of it because, again, I've lived here while Mike Brown owned a team. I know they're capable of that level of hatred and pettiness. I was just, just going to say, the state filed a lawsuit to keep the crew here. Yes. Yeah. Like, what do yeah. you think they're going to... You think they're not going to fight, like... For the Reds? The, the, the fucking Reds? Obviously, this take has been floated before, but I feel like it must be said. Imagine Carl Linder saying that. I The, the supporters <laughs> would light TQL on fire in TQL while they're inside of it. There's there it, like you know I I I'm 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 gobsmacked even thinking about what FCC Twitter nay the stands would look like if Carl would say such a thing. Credit to Carl for all the other things that maybe he's not so great at allegedly. There's no fucking way he would ever say anything like this ever ever. But hey, speaking of things you love to see, I, I've been told, I've been promised, a KLR uh -oh. Minute is coming. It's been a while. I've uh, I've had to cut out his little chunk of the podcast and, and podcast past. But uh, Jonah, the stage is yours. You, you took a week off. I expect well-rested pipes. Have at it. Obi Wobado has arrived, and he will turn us into MLS Cup champions. 
You may recall Lucho being our previous missing piece when we brought him in before last season. While his presence did not improve our record, he did fill a void. But this time it's different. Obi will clear up all the trash in front of him and keep everyone behind him safe and sound. Obi is the youth's serum for our center backs. It's the same serum Lindner blood transfuses every night to make sure those size 30 dungarees still fit with precision. Wobodo's been on the post radar for years. Kept that on the DL, though, as to not affect his purchase price. You know, once upon a time, we thought Mocha Joe would be that defensive midfielder making tackles, wreaking havoc. You know, it turns out he wasn't nearly half as good as a converted winger named Yuya Kubo. This time feels different, though. Wobodo was picked by someone who isn't Dutch and who isn't named Gerard. For some reason, I have misplaced faith that Obi will be the key cog in a true turnaround for the FC. And if he's not, well, I'll put my hopes on the next new guy. And then the next new one. And the next one. Until eventually we win. Or we die. Oh my gosh. Beautiful. It was it was an off week and my man didn't take a day off. I love it. I absolutely love it. Guys, I'm out of I'm out of topics. I don't know what you have for me, but uh I think that's a wrap. I think I think we got enough here considering we didn't talk about a match that happened or a match that will happen, but I think we got enough content here. We're gonna make the we're, playoffs. We're gonna le- <laughs> we're gonna leave it on this cliffhanger of not knowing who this player is. That's how we're gonna end this. I I mean I guess by the time everybody listens to this, they'll know, but Yes. It's only interesting to us. <laughs> Whoever it is, they're a fucking god because they Kevin, have the shirt just, on. That's just how sports say, work. Just say, you know, oh, and just we found out the new signing is, and just leave it blank and just cut it in, cut it in later. <laughs> it'll, it'll be yeah, me, groggy, three in the morning. Grazo. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. No, I love it. Uh, Actually, my source said, I'll ask tomorrow. So (laughs) up to the minute information (laughs) on this podcast. (laughs) Forgot their name. That's awesome. That is amazing. Everyone just say all the people that we named earlier and we'll cut out all of them. Yes. um, No, no. Yeah. Get get some clean samples right now. Say each, each name separately and then cut it in. We have signed. Carlos Grazo. <laughs> hey! Guys, if Obviously we were truly professionals, right. we would. If record... this is Carlos Gruezo, please press one now. <laughs> We've been trying to reach you about your car's extended warranty. <laughs> I, I don't know how much free time you guys have on you, but we could do you know seven minutes on each guy as if we just oh, signed him, and we can uh, <laughs> just use our favorite clip whenever they come in. Uh, or all of these guys all about whom we know so much. <laughs> I can't believe they're wasting this much money. They can't, they can't play all of them. <laughs> Overpay. Oh, Washed. Uh, yeah. Whoever it is, they overpaid and they should have done more analytics. That's for damn sure. No, I love I love uh there there's some great theories out there about the post and the post getting special treatment. And if my source doesn't tell you about the special treatment we get, I, I don't know uh, what else will. Um solid. Uh Das Harks. Four man show. I think this was good. I we may have to do this again. This was a lot of oh fun. Oh boy. Oh, uh, see. Yeah. I'll talk to uh, I'll talk to Mrs. Harks about getting you back on here. All right. Until then. Yeah. Goodbye. See you.